Well, good morning, everybody. How do we feel about sound barriers today? There's this thing. Can we just name it? You know, when 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 um, when there aren't as many people in the room, you start to feel a little more self-aware. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm singing loud. Like, you know, who can hear me? Or you know, all those things. So let's just. It's here. It's present. It's real. Just. Um, but we can just, you know, how we do here at the Groves. That's now, not, that's as never stay. okay. <laughs> Because it's, yeah. I know. Can you hold this one? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna. Because it's not that. It's this. Yeah, which has duct tape on it. <laughs> so that tells you how this is gonna go. Anyway, welcome to the Groves. <laughs> so glad you're here. Um, yeah, man, I just love. I I am every time. You know, we were Paul and I were in San Diego last week. Uh, last mm-hmm. weekend, yeah. and we were um, participating in, or we were work. I work with an organization called Parish Collective, and I've spoken about them before. And they're just a, an organization that is really focused on um, it's Jesus centered and it's place based. So it's all about Jesus in the neighborhood and very contextual. And so I was just hanging out with a bunch of people who love their neighborhood, love their neighbors, and are learning and coming up with creative, innovative ways to just be present and normal, ordinary ways to be present in their neighborhood. And with their neighbor. So we were uh, doing some music, uh, participating in some music stuff. Yeah, Paul did a little playing house Mando. worship night. Oh, yeah, I did a house worship night. Yeah, and then a larger event at a UMC church down there. Yeah. That so. was really cool. It was awesome to, you know, you're right there on the border. And um, so all of a sudden, the stuff that's news, I guess, to us uh, often up here um, is real life. Immigration. You know, to them. Specifically, you mean. Yeah, well, I yeah. thought that was implied with the, I just the border. To name but it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing watching how this group, this this church, uh, talked about how um, they joined with an organization that um, uh, they specialize in in helping uh, refugees that come across the border and uh, actually placing them. And they uh, had a couple families Mm -hmm. that were staying in the church. The church had been uh, zoned to be able to have some uh, residential zoning there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and it was really cool when they told their story, they talked about how um, it, it just revitalized the space. They talked about the, mm-hmm. the sound of children um, coming home from school. And, and um, so these were the pastors that were talking about how, you know, they'd be at the church working, doing their thing, and the, you'd hear the kids come home from school and the, the life that, that that brought to the place and the, the smells of the food in the kitchen as the families would cook and, and, um, and just the, the beauty of that that was, was striking to me. I just was uh, really taken by that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was a good, it's always inspiring for me to hang out with all those people in yeah. San Diego. Although San Diego, kind of disappointed, it was cloudy. It's true, they never degrees. got the weather turned on for I us. I don't know what was going on. It was yeah. warmer and sunnier here in Portland, which yeah. seemed wrong. <laughs> every time, I was, and every time I've been to San Diego, it's been cloudy and rainy and nasty. So I just think that all those things about San Diego are lies. Yeah, the good weather. Yeah, good yeah, weather. That's all. Lies. <laughs> also, the Uber guy told us that he thinks that the reason people talk about the weather in San Diego is because it's the only thing to talk about in San Diego. <laughs> that there's nothing else going on in San Diego but yeah. the weather. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did run by one of those. Anyway. Anyhow, it was a great time. But every time I'm gone from our Groves, faith, our Groves community, I miss it. 
and I think about all of you and think about all your faces. I'm like, I wonder what they're doing right now. That's what love is, you know? Mm. <laughs> like, what are Groves doing right now? Oh, they're probably singing. Oh, what are they doing? Oh, they're probably talking too much. So anyway, yeah, those are all the things. <laughs> yeah. And um, we heard Trevor did a great job, so thankful to him yeah, for, for, sure. for speaking and doing all those things. Um, uh, just wanted to give you a couple heads up. So Sunnyside, you know, we're moving on over to Sunnyside United Methodist Church space, which is Southeast 35th and Yamhill, just a block off of Belmont. So um, I've been having more meetings over there, interacting with a few more neighbors, getting to know some of the partners and people mm -hmm. there. Jamie's doing a lot of work. She is the uh, building manager, uh, official as of July 1, but she's in she's already, the transitionary yeah. building manager over there. So. We're doing a lot of um, that pre-work, and so we will have, as I have promised, when I know you're waiting for those days of going over and purging and cleaning and dumpster filling. So all of that stuff is going to happen. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. There will be food involved, I'm sure, all those things. But yeah, that's coming along, and July 1st um, is when um, my assignment officially begins there. And we will, like I said before, we'll transition over there with a few events here and there, and um, likely starting our actual gather weekly gatherings there in October. So that's what that's going to look like, Can I, I think. This is going to drive me crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> team, you guys, team, <laughs> professional, team. Yeah, we'll be meeting here. Um, and we'll kind of slowly merge over into the new space. Yeah, because y'all, Groves will be celebrating y'all. 10 years. <laughs> just got Southern all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. 10 years um, this fall. We're yeah. celebrating 10 years. So um, we're putting, I'm sending out invites to everyone who has ever been a part of the Groves ever, and we will celebrate like there's no other celebration. <laughs> so anyway, it'll be really fun. I've got plans. Pinatas, I don't know. That just came to mind. Yeah, know. just because we yeah. were in San Diego. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. Uh, one more just quick announcement. We had a lot of good tacos, I will say oh that. Oh, my that gosh, was, tacos. Yeah, I mean, it's worth going there for that. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Carne asada. All right, um, one other just quick announcement. Um, Vic, Kathy is hosting a bridal shower for Amy Thursday, June 20th at 7 p.m. Amy! So she knew, yeah. <laughs> She's getting married. She knows that too. So um, that's coming up um, Thursday, June 20th. So if you want any more information or details, please talk to Kathy about that. And put on your calendar to save the date. All right. All right. Go ahead. Oh, you're ready to get rolling here? I'm ready. Okay. You already thanked Trevor. So I was, yeah. That was part of what I wanted to do was thank everybody. Um, for covering everything while we were gone and the team, um, you know, continuing the faithfulness, right? We kind of have talked, we have talked about this a few times um, because like Sonia said, you know, there is, uh, as we roll into summer and we go through transition and stuff, um, sometimes it's like this. It's more like a small group than like a Sunday uh, gathering uh, sort of feel just with, with who shows up. And um, it is a good time to be reminded that, yeah, we show up to, to care for and minister to each other and to have people, like, create a, a space where we can encounter God, right? Yeah, absolutely, that's part of it. Is this team serving you as you show up? That's part of it. But a big part of it is us taking a moment to pause our week and just acknowledge Creator, you know, acknowledge who God is in our life, acknowledge who Jesus is in our life. And, and that's, what, that's what this is about. And so where there's a couple of us willing to get together, um, we will, you know. And that's, that's something that um, kind of the core group 
uh, that started this community has always said that, you know, even if organizationally this thing, like we would talk about that, hey, what if, what if this thing can't make it? What if we just can't, we can't afford to pay pastors, we can't afford to rent space, what are we gonna do? And the team has always been like, well, we'll get together in our homes and worship because this is, this is valuable, this is important to us. And so um, thank you for you guys who show up through the lean times and the great times. Thank you to those who serve, um, you know, and, and especially to those who serve uh, like while we were gone this last week. And so, yeah, I really appreciate Trevor sharing. Um, I'm excited. He's, I think he's a really good thinker and, and developing as a communicator. And I'd love to see him uh, get to kind of share with us a, um, a little more regularly. So I haven't talked to him about that yet, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> hopefully he thinks that too. <laughs> but we don't know. Um, but, you know, my mom came in. She, she, I was going to thank her in front of everybody for hanging out with our kids this week, making something like this possible, a trip for us, um, which is harder, you know, with the, especially with Dee being little now. And, um, but anyway, with mom in town, and then Dee turned four. I don't know if you guys know that, that Dominic, our, our littlest one, he turned four years old. And inevitably, like, between those things, mom being in town, we're talking about, like, my childhood and Dee turning four. We ended up uh, talking about that stuff, and it just um, it made me so grateful for the, the life, you know, that I've been giving. And uh, we were talking yesterday kind of about all the little things um, that come together to make up a life, you know, to make up your life. All these little events all along the way that kind of become motivators or things that send you in particular directions. And um, just thinking about all of the different events and the influences um, that have brought us to this moment today. You know, I get kind of existential like that. And so I think like all the little stuff that has enabled the Groves to continue to have this, this time of worship and, and um, to actually have this moment right here and right now. And um, so then, you know, I'm talking with Sonia about this, and, and um, I just, you know, like I was saying to you, I think it's incredible to consider what took place to, like, take you from Seoul, South Korea, to this, this moment today. Yeah. And so I don't know if everybody knows your story about that, but that is always an impactful thing to us as a family and, and then as to our friends as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure this many times, but like the you know the short story, and I, I mean, part of this is we were thinking about all those little tiny things and all the people that are involved in our lives to come you know to come to a moment. And so for me, I just I was thinking about um, how you know I was I was left on a sidewalk in South Korea in the 19 in 1974, mm-hmm. way back in the 70s. Yeah. So they you're younger. Than they had you. no cell phones, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Back in 1974, left on a sidewalk, and you just think about, like, you just think about the, I think about the vulnerability of that moment, of just not having any agency myself, like, no way of making any choices or doing anything to deserve or to save or, you know, this, the vulnerability of that. But, you know, being left on a sidewalk, and then there is, well, first of all, I think about my biological mom, I think about that, like, she says she gave birth to me, then I think about being left on a sidewalk in that moment, like, what was that like for her? But I think about pastor, like, then if somebody came by and picked me up, and all these people don't have names, right? This, these important people in my history don't have names. Oh, I mean, that's wild, just even thinking about all the different sets of hands that literally carried you from yeah. that spot, yeah. you know, to where you were finally right. placed with your your. So mom my biological mom, who I don't know her name, passer passerby. That's what's in my records. Passerby, you know. <laughs> they don't even. Mr. Have his name. Mrs. Yeah. 
Ms. Passerby, um, and then orphanage <laughs> workers who I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Passerby. Okay, um, Nothing. I was okay. gonna try to do an <laughs> accent, but I'm really bad at accents, yeah. so I couldn't do it. But um, and then orphanage workers, the different. You know, he, I was brought to an orphanage, and the different orphanage workers that were maybe some of them were just doing a job. I, you know, whatever. These different hands that were around me at that time, and then I was put in foster care. And again, on my records. I'm sure I could research and find out names for them, but on my records that I've read, my little history, it just says foster parents. I don't know their names and who they were. Um, and then airline attendants. You know, I was put on an airplane with a bunch of other little babies and brought over to the United States for adoption. And all the airline, you know, all the people that were involved in, and and they were just doing what they did, right? right? An airline attendant wasn't like, you know what, I'm into airline you know, we're going to be an airline attendant so I can care for babies coming over, right? There's, like, not this, like, deep intention, but somehow, in some way, their lives and their careers and the things that they chose to do allowed them to be part of my story yeah. and, and an important part of my story, and I don't even know them, you know, or who they were. But then to be, you know, then brought to Minnesota, uh, suburbs of Minneapolis, and then the names that I do know, Andy and Shirley Hilden, who took me in, you know? So anyway, it's interesting to think about all the tiny, those little pieces along the way. Yeah. That so what you're saying but, is if yeah. those folks don't play their part, we never meet and I'm sad forever. Yeah, you lead a sad life. Oh man. Sad. <laughs> no, I was thinking about this though, like, like what if that didn't happen? What, you know, all these different courses, yeah. events, you know, I think about our life, you know, mm -hmm. and then like, no Maddie, right? Yeah. We, our daughter Maddie, um, our son Rennick, He's not there. We don't move to Oregon, yeah. right? The Groves Church doesn't ever happen, right? Think of all the relationships that have come through the Groves over the last 10 years and the different people that have because connected. Because passerby. Right. Right. You no. know, like that's yeah. part of the story. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, was, I kept just spinning on this and I thought, you know, maybe Jamie doesn't connect with Cupcake Girls as she did through relationship here at the Groves and she doesn't, here in the Cedarbergs, they don't adopt Nico. Right? And, and if that doesn't happen, Sonny and I certainly don't get inspired to start doing foster care and, and adopt Dominic. And I just think of all these incredible things that are part of all of our, like our stories individually, but our stories collectively, and how they're also interwoven and dependent upon regular mundane events. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that you draw out that passerby thing. Like, mm -hmm. literally, he's just doing his thing. She, yeah. yeah, he or she walking down the street. Yeah. Um, why have I always thought I was a guy? I guess because I'm a I guy, know. you know? Dude, I, probably. big problem. Yeah. yeah, well, it's, you know, like, he rescued you. You know, he yeah. must be a guy, right? Ugh. That's. Don't confess that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> don't say that out loud. Yeah. Okay. If we don't <laughs> confess our biases, how yeah, do we yeah, work yeah. on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so, but I mean, that's just, that's wild to think about that. And of course, you know, we've been working through or starting to work through the book of Exodus. So, you know, this is all um, conversation that came out of our time of study and, and talking about this stuff and all these little, these little events that lead to saving work, right? I mean, that, that's not a, uh, that's not a stretch to go, you know, in some ways you were rescued, um, and, and saved, you know, mm -hmm. that, to use, I guess, Bible terms or, mm -hmm. or religious terms. And so I was thinking about this stuff in relationship to this story of liberation in the book of Exodus. And so two weeks ago, you know, we worked through chapter one. So if you weren't here or you don't remember or you haven't read the book of uh, Exodus, then um, 
like at the beginning of the book, you have the story of the people of Israel. They've moved, they've been moved down to um, Egypt um, in order to be saved because there was a famine, right? And the, the people of Israel were flourishing, right? They're like completely flourishing in the land. And the new Pharaoh who comes in doesn't know uh, Joseph, doesn't know the lineage, doesn't care. And um, he, he, he gets moved out of fear and jealousy, right? He sees this group of people growing and they become a threat to his power um, is how he perceives it. So fear and jealousy move him to violence, he starts a murderous campaign um, commanding the, uh, like, kind of the line of midwives to actually take all the baby boys and throw them in the river so they would be drowned and to uh, wipe out a generation, right? That's what he's trying to do. But he's defied, right? Mm-hmm. And that was awesome to talk about a couple weeks ago that um, even in a, an age where women weren't really valued, right, the storyteller whether inadvertently or intentionally, shows the, the women as the heroes. The women are the ones defying this order from Pharaoh, and, and they stand up and they go, no, we know what's right, and we're not going to do this. And so they, they, they're working against, they're being subversive. They're undermining unjust law, right? This is a law issued by the government, and it's an unjust law, and here are people working to undermine that, the bravery of that, the uh, courage in that displayed. Uh, in, in, and, and it continues in this, in this week's story, right? Because mm-hmm. so, the order's still there to drown these newborn, new, newborn Israelite boys. Um, but the resistance led by midwives is still resisting. But now in chapter 2, you focus in. Okay, it kind of goes from this general story of this attack on Israel down to um, an image of one specific baby, right? That's kind of the, um, uh, the storytelling method here. All of a sudden now we're centering in on a key figure, and it's, it's Moses, right? And all of us know the name Moses. You might know much of the story of Moses. You, know that, uh, you probably know that he's a key figure in God's salvation story. Right, so God's work of salvation is being threatened as uh, this baby boy is being threatened. In similar ways, or in, it's similar to how we see the saving work of Jesus threatened by fearful and um, a, a jealous king. Right, when Jesus is born, King Herod uh, hears about the the Messiah coming, and he tries to kill. Uh, baby Jesus by wiping out again another generation of boys under a, a certain age. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a parallel story or one um, kind of prefigures the other. And, and so Moses is seen um, as a saving figure, a, a hero. Some will use that, that image or that story, or excuse me, those words to tell this story, that he's a hero um, in the story of the salvation of Israel and the liberation of Israel. And so, you know, I'm looking at this, looking at the context, thinking about this stuff and going, um, this, this, is, this is a cycle throughout human history, right? This kind of thing happens over and over again. There seems to always be powerful, fearful, and jealous forces opposing the birth and nurturing of God's saving efforts, whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that brought me to, like, have us consider something. Like, when you step out in the world and there's you know good things that you intend to do 
Are you frustrated at times trying to do good work? Or is it always just easy? The funding's always there. The, the, the opportunities are always there. You just, you go and you just do it. Or do you feel some sense of resistance? Any comment on that? I don't know, you can, it's open. They're introverts, they like Oh, well, that's right, it's introvert day. Never mind, you know. I don't. <laughs> well, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, good, good, Nick, thank you. Um, <laughs> glad I made myself clear. Uh, <laughs> When we are like trying to make a difference in the world, because I know this group of people, right? A lot of these folks, we try to do that, try to make a difference in the world. The point is, is when you go out, do you feel that sense of resistance or is it always just like, I'm doing good, so it's easy? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you have nothing further, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Is that a common experience? Yeah, I, I just don't see where the, the truly elite, most often reporter comes from. Right. It's a trick. <laughs> it's a trick of yeah, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, inevitably, there's certain challenges that you have to be aware of. But, you know, you have to be well with unicorns and rainbows. Good work all the time. <laughs> right. 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 I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I think whenever you feel that resistance, then you know that you're probably headed in the right direction. And that you're going to take maybe the work together, being pushed through. So. Mm. Yeah, whatever he's kind of placed in our heart to go and do, right? Yeah. movie ever. I decided to help orphans. Oh, money just came in. People were just volunteering. They're just, someone gave me a building and whoa, there it was, an orphanage. We just saved, you know, right? Like that's never. Right? Yeah, and why story, why is that, right? Like if you think about forms that take hold and work, that story form works because that. Is the experience. Yeah, that's the human experience. 
that every good work, everything interesting thing that happens in life meets this resistance, right? And all of us that have been journeying uh, with this church plant for the last decade, we would all uh, echo that same thing, is that this work has constantly felt like you, you face resistance. And um, to this day, Right, it's constantly um, a little bit forward, and then uh, you feel something push, and then and and then there are these moments that are beautiful, these beautiful moments of of care for one another, or or moments of worship, or moments of service, um, and, and you're like, this is worth it, and then like just <laughs> a year of resistance, you know, it's just like it kind of has felt that way, and I I think that's just like kind of how it works, right? It, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the easy way is a myth. Has, you know, inside or outside of faith, is there an easy way? Right? Everyone, it doesn't, with or without God, with or without God, life is life, and we all experience it. And with God does not, is not magic for ease. Yeah, yeah. It was never promised. Right. So. And certainly you can face resistance because doing the wrong of, thing, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. that, I don't think it's like a, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're saying it's always easier to do the wrong thing. The grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> Done. Yep. Sermon completed. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll meet this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I was, you know, as I'm considering this stuff, I'm thinking it makes sense, you know, that if, it, okay, if you believe in an ultimate good and, and evil in this kind of conflict in the universe, in human existence, it makes sense that if you're on the side of God's saving story, if you're participating in that, if you're driven by that, that um, you're going to face resistance because there is resistance to that story, right? In every example um, where you see God sending someone out or just if you, you don't even uh, don't even make it a, a religious exercise, look at the efforts to do good, to care for the vulnerable, um, how much resistance you face in that, just in the human condition, the human condition of greed, uh, the condition of fear, uh, fear of other, all those kind of things that prevent people from um, caring for the vulnerable, those sorts of stories. And so um, this book that we're going through, right, the book of Exodus, uh, is about liberation. And so we know, like from any of us that have studied any kind of our history or really any history, we know that, um, that the liberating uh, of a people, uh, it never comes all at once, and it never comes without resistance, right? That you, you, there's never like a tyrant ruling, and a group of people go, uh, excuse me, we'd like to be liberated. You know what? They make a good point. Let's, let's liberate them. All right. Oh, eyes, eyes have it. You know, like that doesn't happen, right? It's always met with resistance. But 
The cool thing is we also know that all along the road to this freedom, or we might use the word salvation, that's the term that the Bible uses, of, especially in the Old Testament. The term salvation is about physical liberation, physical salvation from danger. That, that is the, uh, the Old Testament theology of salvation is, is more physical than the New Testament um, theology of salvation. And, and so all along the road to salvation or freedom, there's a lot of hands carrying that that crying baby Sonia of salvation oh my gosh you know, oh, no. well, too far Moses too far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right yeah. here we go Exodus 2 verse read? 1 I'm gonna read all right Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 uh where are we reading from and I this is the message from the message mm-hmm. here we go a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman the woman became pregnant and had a son she saw there was something special about him and hid him she hid him for three months When she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. It's cool to think about the language used here echoes the language of the discussion of the building of uh, Noah's Ark. So immediately uh, to the Hebrew reader or the Hebrew listener listening to this story, here is an ark image, which the ark was always seen as an image of salvation. And so that's, that's already kind of just laden in the language, in the imagery, is this, this uh, similar kind of uh, salvation. Verse 4. The baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maiden strolled on the bank. She saw the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maid to get it. She opened it and saw the child, a baby, crying. Her heart went out to him, and she said, This must be one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, Yes, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the child and nursed him. I found it interesting, I don't know, language like child's mother, woman. Again, like just the unnamed part mm-hmm. of it in this particular piece of the text. Even the sister will know her name later, but right, right. now she's not named. Right. Um, these people that are, and maids, the maids Passer are walking buys. along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> passerbys, orphanage, anyway. Yeah. Um, the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child was weaned. After the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. That really hit, hit me, too, just thinking about the time that this mother is with her child, and, you know, everything she did to save him in the first place, the risk of putting this baby in a bath, all yeah. of those things, I, how hard of a decision that must have been. And then nursing this child, bringing the child, raising this baby, obviously loving and caring for him, and then giving him away to be adopted by a foreign power. Right. In, well, the oppressive, who, oppressive power. power. Yeah. And, yeah, anyway. Um, I've also been watching Handmaids, so these are very relative if anyone's ever watched any of that. Anyway, these themes are there. All right. After the child's weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, meaning pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of the water. Um, I noticed right away, and I've mentioned this before, but I'm just noticing women in the text. And these women, again, having very little agency, like very little individual power to act and move, limited in that way, um, uh, within their context and their system, but they're defying evil. They're defying power in the ways that they could, right? Compelled by love and compassion and ultimately are part of saving a little baby. Yeah. And again, it's not, I think sometimes we think about saving power as being like 
like how we think of power, massive, like all at once, and power as in strength, you mm -hmm. know, or resources. But here we have people acting within the power that they had, which seems so limited according to the systems of the world. Yeah. But what love and compassion, right? The story is that Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby and what? Her heart is moved. Yeah. She has compassion, right? That's just really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like I was saying to you yesterday, I, I find it striking that the hero needs heroes, mm -hmm. right? That the, this is a, a hero story of the Bible. Here's Moses. He's going to be the one that's going to lead the people of Israel to freedom. But without these ones who save his life when he's vulnerable, that, that story doesn't take place. And so, like, I think that's important because, like, we, I, I, know, I know that I am susceptible to this in the way I think about the world. And we always think of the great person as being, like, this, almost this standalone person that does this great work. And whether, whatever your field is, whatever it is that you do, um, you will often think of, like, the great leader of whatever it is. For us, it's a lot of time, you know, ministers or pastors or people doing um, humanitarian work. For you, it might be a CEO or, or uh, you know, something like that, S somebody high up in a, a business field or a good counselor or whatever, right? And we tend to elevate the individual and not think about all of the different um, parts that a collective group of people make along the way. And that, so this is impactful to me to realize how important like the mundane really may be. The thing that you might do one day might be the thing that enables uh, greatness, you know? And, and, and uh, I don't know, I think that's a, a beautiful um, expression of our, uh, kind of our relative insignificance at times that we might feel. And, because we all feel that way sometimes, right? We all feel a sense of insignificance. And, but in these moments, um, there can be a connection to something great that God is doing. And this also, this reminds me of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 9, uh, 35 says, Then Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. And he has the same reaction that um, Pharaoh's daughter has. This, this, uh, the Greek word is splaxna. It means like to feel it in your guts. Um, it's this like... Um, uh, you felt this, right? When you've, you've seen someone hurting or something, you felt that uh, deep in your, kind of, in your gut. You kind of have that almost sick feeling at times when you see somebody going through something. And, and so, you know, I see the compassion of Jesus in uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. And Jesus has compassion on them um, because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so the principle is the same. There's a need for multiple hands to carry this along. Right? There's such a connection to, for these stories to me is that the idea of compassion, the idea of the need of multiple hands to see the saving work done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that just that phrase really jumped out to me that that her heart went out to him and that idea of compassion. And I thought, how many times have I underestimated love and compassion? Mm -hmm. How many times have I looked at systems or looked at powers or looked at situations and thought, well, there's nothing I can do? And I've completely underestimated mm -hmm. the power yeah. of love, the power of what it means, like what 
how many times have I been moved with compassion, but maybe I've suppressed that or argued op away opportunities to act because I think, well, so what if I do that one tiny thing? Will it really matter? Right. So many times I've done that. And I, as I was reading this text, I wanted to encourage all of us, like, let's pay attention to those moments when we're moved. Hmm. Let's pay attention to those moments when we're sitting or we hear a story or we see something and we feel that Splaxna, you know, like there's like something in us. It's like, that's not right. Yeah. That's not fair. Or I need to do something. And instead of I can't solve it, I can't change it, right? The ways in which we will maybe rationalize away a movement or get distracted. Let's pay attention to those things because that might be a moment that God is inviting us into his work of salvation in yeah. the world and his work of, of good, good in the world. Yeah. And, and as I was thinking about this, just my own underestimating of love, I was reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is basically like if you do all the good things in the world, it's mm -hmm. like if you give your body to be burned, if you like do all these great things, but you don't have love, it's nothing. Yeah. But if you have love, right, it's like anything that is done with love is suddenly powerful and transformative, and it is part of this big, huge, larger story of God's good mm. work in the world. Yeah. And so there's this invitation, too. I've been thinking about the, like, accumulation. So I was thinking about the cumulative power of love, yeah. right? What happens when a, like, what happens when a group of people like this decides, man, I want to, I want to be, play a little part in love this week. What is the cumulative power of love mm -hmm. of a community? What's the cumulative, uh, <laughs> cumulative, like, the, like, when we get, when little acts of love are towards us over time, that speaks to us about our value. It, well, it speaks to us, us. about yeah. who we are, yeah. right? So all those things, they just really, really, really matter. All the hands that are involved mm -hmm. really matter. And we get to be a part of this, this greater thing. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so consequences of this truth, I think, are, um, or things we can think about. Um, see the unseen, right? the vulnerable ways in which God enters the world to rescue us. How, so God chooses babies. Like, I love this, right? Yeah. It's like Moses, he comes, this salvation, this story is about this little baby that was vulnerable, was right. set to be killed. Yeah. Um, and God is starting his rescuing work, not with lightning bolts, not with like swords and armor well, and like power. That's so cool, right? That but these with salvation stories, yeah, they start here. They right? start that in they, vulnerability. But they even have this, because there's a lot yeah. of stories that don't even have that origin they just start with the hero doing the really awesome massive supernatural yeah, thing yeah. right right but they start very vulnerable and actually in the story i don't know if you as we were ready actually god isn't even mentioned in this story so far like right, his he's name implied, right right yeah. right there's this idea that but it's the it's the work of every day i'm gonna go bathe in the nile yeah the maids are just you know walking along the bank yeah. like there's there's something regular and normal about it too and very vulnerable right. and innocent and simple um but there, there you know there will always be insecure powerful people who want to use their place and power to destroy mm -hmm. and i thought of mr i've said this a few times but mr rogers quote like look for the helpers right there are always humble good people doing good good like creation it was good kind of work mm. and and I've mentioned this before, but there's this sort of like 32,000 aerial view when we look down at the world and we see the systems and we see how challenging and difficult and impossible it is. But I swear, when you get into the dirt, when you get into the neighborhood, when you get into homes, when you get on the street and you start having conversations and you see what's going on, there are always really good people 
normal everyday people yeah. doing really good work that is transformative and really matters. And we don't always get to know the outcomes or how things, how our part plays in or how it fits yeah. or the consequences, right? I wonder sometimes, that person who found me on the sidewalk, do they like, they, I'm sure they told that story to friends and family, but do they wonder like, what happened to that baby, right? right? They don't get to know that part of the story or the airline attendant, like they don't get to know the lives of all the people that they've been a part of. Um, and, and I think this goes to, Josh was raising this question, like, why? We don't always get to know why. Yeah. We don't always get to know how our little Josh. part plays <laughs> into the greater like whole. I'm just, this is for you today, Josh, right? Yeah. Right? We don't get to know the impact of, our, of these small, yeah. compassionate actions. Well, we do in a moment like this, right? Here's mm -hmm. a story left behind for us to speak to us, to teach us, to show us that you know, what you guys do matters, right? That what we do matters, even when it feels like it doesn't. These little moments, they matter. I love this idea that, you know, the idea of collective acts of love, that it builds up mm -hmm. and that we can, we can pay into that in, in the way we behave, the way we treat people. The, uh, that's fabulous. And, and, and right now, in this moment, we get a chance to reflect and go, you know, what we do matters, even if it's not um, spectacular or if it's not written about uh, in a blog or a you know, newspaper, if there still are those things. And, you know, it, it matters yeah. when we act in that way in the world. Yeah. So the, the phrase that I kind of want us to walk out with today is this phrase of compassionate action. And um, I read this great quote this week. It says, because this is sort of the how. That's like, Sonia, that's great. Yes, we should love. Okay, you know, I should take action and be, when, if I get moved, do something, you know. Um, but how, how, do we, how do we become that? How do we do that? And this, this, uh, I found this quote this week that I've been sitting with, and it says this. The measure of our compassion lies not in our service to those on the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them. And I think that speaks to the way in which we inhabit and the way in which we move. I mean, I even thought about this quote that's on the wall here. If you've come to help me, you're wasting your time, right, to do something to someone. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, that there's a likeness, that there's a kinship, that we're humans both like needing that saving, that liberation, yeah. then let's work together. And it's more together than at. Yeah. And I think that's the way in which we ought to move in our compassion and action in the world. Yeah. Because um, we're not helping these poor people, this poor baby, right? Mm -hmm. It's like that's a pity and kind of false humility, but it's recognizing that something, in, something whatever's in you is also in me, right. and we both need this work to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And the ultimate image mm -hmm. for me the, that compels me to live in this way and, um, is um, this idea in, for, from John 1, chapter 1, verse 16, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. That's Eugene Peterson's way of saying it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God put on flesh mm -hmm. and tented, put yeah. up his dwelling, came right. and lived with us. And so the question for us and the way in which how do we do this compassionate action, how do we live into the everyday and participate in this way? And the question to me is how does God want, to, want us to move into our neighborhood? How does he want us to act and be towards our neighbors? How does he want to liberate and bring this freedom and this salvation, this movement, yeah. into our neighbors' lives? And I think it's through ordinary, everyday, mm. compassionate action. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just be open to that. Be open to that. Yeah. Agreed? Yes. In? Yeah. The introverts in. nod. Yeah. That's good. We're probably, we're calling, it's just rude that we're saying that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I like introverts. <laughs> I love them. 
All right. <laughs> should, should, I'll pray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's how we close out at the Groves. We have communion that's in the back. There's a basket for giving, and um, the, the music um, team will lead us in a song, and then we'll read a scripture together, and we'll close out that way. But just take this opportunity to just, uh, just listen. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here, and he will speak to us and challenge us and shape us and do those things that he needs to do. So I'll pray. We'll just take a moment to respond, and then we'll close it all up. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth that is bigger than language, um, more impactful than a feeling and more long-lasting than a feeling. Your word, your truth that is alive. Your word that became flesh and came and walked with us and became like us and um, endured the suffering, the pain, all of the things that come with humanity. So we thank you for the ways in which you relate and connect to us. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your liberation and for your salvation that is at work in us and through us. We thank you, God, that you want to use us as part of your saving work in the world, that you want to alleviate pain and suffering. You want to speak to us about immigration. You want to speak to us about homelessness. You want to speak to us about orphans. You want to speak to us about violence and death. And you want to use us in this world um, to be a part of your good work, which is rescuing and liberation and love and mercy and grace. So um, use us this week, God. Um, we just are, we open up our lives and our hearts uh, for you to use us the way that you want to use us and um, do those things that only you can do in Jesus' name.